got a real good feeling. You're listening to the Coffee and Crypto Podcast with Crypto Jeb, bringing you the best and most updated news about cryptocurrency. Tune in every morning at 9.30 a.m. Eastern to watch this podcast live on our YouTube channel. We're going to do some ASMR. You can hear me? They can hear me? Is the audio fixed? My pantomime? I'm good? Okay, well, what were we saying? I just banged the heck out of that table. What I was saying is that in this stream, we are going to be talking about why we completely disagree with Vitalik Buterin, a tweet that he put out recently, two tweets actually, and we're going to talk about why Vitalik Buterin is wrong in this instance, even though we very much like Vitalik Buterin. We like what he's done with Ethereum. We like what he's done with the cryptocurrency. I am a big proponent of Ethereum. Now, I do think it has some problems and some things it needs to resolve, but I do think that Vitalik Buterin is a very, very good man, and I do think he's very intelligent. That being said, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about Terra Luna, the FDIC, we're going to be talking about the 2008 housing crisis, we're going to be talking about the recession that followed, government bailouts, and we're going to be talking about whether or not there should be a bailout of a similar kind that the banks saw to the tune of $700 billion, which was actually more like $5 trillion over the last 14 years since 2008. Should we see something similar for UST and Terra Luna holders? Our opinion on this might be a little bit unpopular, but if you truly believe in decentralization and financial sovereignty, I think you will come to understand where we're coming from in today's show. If you're enjoying today's show already, which I am already, I already think it's pretty cool. I got to be a mime earlier. That was pretty cool. I don't get to do that every day. Hit that like button. I already did. I think everybody in this room has. Yeah. Tim, have you hit the like button? And by the I, way, welcome to the show. I hit the like button. I don't think you were a mime. From what I'm getting on the thing, I think the volume was way too loud and that you were destroying people's eardrums. Okay. Well, so I was basically a rock concert. <laughs> one person, huh? No, but I'm oh, back, yeah. guys. I I uh, was in uh, Greenville, Florida this weekend visiting my in-laws, and there. I got bit by, you guys know what yellow flies are. Anyone from Florida who knows what yellow flies are, you guys know. My leg even <laughs> swelled up. I'm pretty sure what I had yesterday was an allergic reaction because it was it was pretty rough. So, uh, but I'm back. I, I'm a little, a little tired, a little, you know, recovering, had some allergy medication, but I'm here, ready to go. I just realized because of the way that we're set up on the super screen or whatever it's called, I'm not You're, the technical director, and the way it's set up when we look at each other. I'm looking the wrong When we look at each other I'm in so person, we're looking away from each other on screen. So we have I'm, to look away yeah. from each other in real life to look at each other on screen. Well, Either yeah. way, we are also joined as sometimes and as today by definitely not high Zach, who I promise is definitely not high. How are you doing, Zach? Definitely not high today. I'm doing pretty good. No, pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I got my coffee today. Ooh. It's a Colombian on a pour of it. It's very nice. My coffee Medium. monster. You are the coffee connoisseur Dude, who I continually makes cafes. Isn't that right? I do love coffee. Yeah, we're trying to get a new coffee maker. Didn't we just break? Didn't the coffee maker break? Our pot broke, but we have an espresso machine. An espresso machine. So we are, we're pretty bougie. Yeah, that, it's pretty dirty. Yeah, pretty it's bad. pretty dirty. I never it, use it. So. He needs some work, but that's okay. Guys, we got a great show lined up for you today. Before we jump into it, though, we do want to bring you a word from one of our sponsors, none other than iTrust Capital. I trust iTrust Capital, and the reason that I do is because they help us to protect our cryptocurrency gains from taxes within IRA. So if you don't know what an IRA is, we actually just made a video yesterday talking about what IRAs are. We talked about with, uh, actually it was a couple days ago, we're talking about what IRAs are, and we just talked with Lorenzo, our CPA, on stream yesterday about what IRAs are. They're a way of deferring taxes so that you can pay the income tax and the capital gains, excuse me, on your cryptocurrency gains later on in life when you might be in a lower tax bracket during retirement. So it's a really good idea to invest in cryptocurrencies through an IRA because it also helps to incentivize you to invest for the long term. That's one of the things we're talking about right now. Invest for the long term. Don't put yourself in a position where 
where you're so tempted to sell on a moment's notice just because the market went down a little bit. You don't want to do that because that is how you are going to rob yourself of future massive gains. So make sure you sign up for iTrust Capital. The link is in the description box down below. They are a sponsor of our channel. And when you sign up, you will be getting access to a $100 funding reward. So, ch so check and click the link down below right now and go sign up. You have heard it here. Anywho, we are going to go ahead and jump into well, we, got, we have to do something first. Ooh. We have green names. We have green names. We even have it, we have it drawn out on the planning document. It's so not we, in the uh, planning document for me. I was looking at the planning document. That's weird. It's it, it's in like, he drew it. I don't know why he hand drew I don't the know. note. It's not there for me. That's but, weird. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, we got some green names here. We're going to read off this morning. Grand Roofing Incorporated is the first one I see. So congratulations on being the first green name. Cyberfix Online, SEO, Houston, Texas. Long name. There we go. Yeah. But he wanted to let us know uh, where he was from. Here we go. We got uh, Grand Roofing Incorporated again Matt C uh, this one to me he's flippy in 61 but it's Philly fan 61 in chat here who else we got we got uh, a lot of the same names here I we didn't go. know there were 61 chat I know I saw Kelly in chat Groovy is in chat Jeremy Shorter's in chat let's go ahead and we're gonna call it Sultan of Salt and that's the last one I'm gonna read and if we get some more later we'll maybe shout them out here a little bit good deal well guys we are really excited for today's show we're gonna go ahead and jump on over to coin market cap we're gonna briefly run through the price action of Bitcoin and the other cryptos and then we're gonna jump straight into this conversation on whether or not we should see a 2008 style bailout following the 2008 style meltdown that Terra Luna just went through this is a big topic in cryptocurrencies. We've made a couple of videos now on the subject. The first video was talking about, at the time, some speculation. Now it seems to be much more concrete about what actually happened to Luna. That video has 40,000 views on the channel. Go back about a week ago. You're not going to want to miss that one. We were one of the people that broke that story. And also make sure to go back yesterday because we te we detailed the differences between what happened, to what happened to Terra Luna and whether or not that could happen to Bitcoin. Hint, hint, it can't happen to Bitcoin. And the takeaway from this video will explain to you exactly exactly why it can't happen to Bitcoin and why we love Bitcoin so much. With that said, Bitcoin is currently up 2.73%, sitting at $30,650. Ethereum sitting at 2107. We're going to be talking about its founder today, 4.23% over the last 24 hours. The stable coins up here at rank number three and four are staying stable. Hopefully that continues. Binance coin sitting up 3%, XRP up 3%, Cardano up 3.5%. Guys, I just want to point out these prices and make sure you don't miss this. These prices are ridiculously low. Cardano's all-time high is $3.13. Uh, Ethereum's all-time high is $4,900. Uh, Bitcoin's all-time high is $69,000. These are great deals. Don't forget your perspective. It's a bad idea to forget your perspective. But with that said, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about something that is kind of having to do with Bitcoin, kind of not. It has to do with the S&P 500. I want to show you what the S&P 500 is showing right now. If you don't know, the S&P 500, the Standard & Poor's 500 ETF Trust, represents the 500 largest companies in the United States stock market. And it basically shows you the, the, the trend of where the U.S. stock market is going. We're going to talk about how all of this ties back into Bitcoin. I know you're probably thinking, but Jeb, why are we looking at the stock market? I thought this was crypto Jeb, not stock market Jeb. Well, we need to talk about the stocks so that we can compare them to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies so that we understand. Because we don't have that much historical precedence on Bitcoin. Certainly not for a $50 billion crypto like Luna just being destroyed overnight. The most comparable thing that we have to what happened with Luna 
Arizona is the 2008 financial crisis. And we're going to talk about that today. So let's take a look at what happened in 2008 from the price action standpoint. And then also let's discuss a little bit what happened from the fundamental standpoint. In 2007, all time high was hit in September on the SPDR S&P 500 ETF trust. We're looking at the SPY, which is a slightly different way of showing that right now. You can see in the week of the 15th of October 2007, I said September is actually October, we hit an all-time high at 157 points. Right now on a drop, we're at 400 points, just so you know. If you adjust that for inflation, we've barely hit all-time highs, if at all. So keep that in mind. The stock market looks like it goes up every year, but with true inflation, not really. We saw a massive crash from 157 points all the way down to 67, 68 points. The market dropped in the span of about a year and a half, 56%. Anything over 20% by economists is generally considered a recession. If we look over here at something called the M2 money supply, on fred.stlouisfed.org forward slash series forward slash M2SL. You can also find this by looking up M2 money supply on Google and going to Fred. This is one of the uh, greatest places to find economic data. We look at Fred for things like the federal funds rate. We look, for, we look at Fred for things like the M2 money supply. And this gives us a good example of the way the money supply increased. You can see over the last few years, the money supply has increased from about 15.3 trillion all the way up to 21.6 trillion. Now, this big spike right here actually had to do with a recalculation of how they calculate M2. The point is it's still gone up massively, over 25, 30, 40% in the last few years. During the time between 2007 and 2009, a few trillion dollars were printed. But it wasn't just the money printing that caused the problem. In 2008, the thing that because the money printing was the way that they were trying to put the fire out, the thing that led to the, the need, the quote unquote need for quantitative easing or money printing in 2008 was a very bad setup with the banking practices. One of the things that was happening was called negative amortization. If you look over here on Google, just a simple definition of neg am, that's what it was called, negative amortization, then we can find out why this is so bad. You know, they talked about the housing bubble, but what is a bubble? Well, this will help us to understand. Amortization means paying off a loan with regular payments so that the amount you owe goes down with each payment. So let's say that, you know, for example, I just purchased a home. It's roughly $400,000. Every single month, we will pay a payment on that. The principal will go down. We'll be paying interest alongside that. That's amortization. That's an amortization style payment. So even the amount that you owe will go down with each payment. Negam, negative amortization, means that even when you pay, the amount you owe will still go up because you're not paying enough to cover the interest. So for example, if you're paying um, $3,000 a month and $2,000 of that is interest, and then all of a sudden you're only paying $1,500, well, they're going to take the money that you're paying as interest first. So you're not paying down the principal, and you're not even paying enough to, cover, to only cover the interest. What the banks essentially were allowing people to do were buy homes that they could not afford because there were bad ratings practices on these mortgages. There were bad practices allowing people to get mortgages that they sh should not have been able to afford. We're, people with a $50,000, $60,000, $70,000 a year income were buying $700,000, $800,000, dollars $900,000 homes, and they never could have afforded it. But the banks knew that the federal government would bail them out. They knew that a centralized organization, a centralized government like the federal, uh, the federal government would come in and bail them out. So they were handing out these loans that never should have taken place in the first place. And at the same time, the banks were allowing people to only pay as a, a little bit of the interest. They weren't even making them pay all of the interest, which led to this situation of negative amortization, where every single month, people's amount that they owed was going up and up and up and up and up. It's almost like you have a credit card with $10,000 on it and you pay, and the, and the interest rate is say 15% a year. So you're paying 1.2% a, a, a month and you're only paying 0.5% a month. 
Well, it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, the amount that people owed start to balloon. And you have people that bought a $600,000 home, they're, they're, doing, they're in a neg-am situation, and then they owe a million dollars on the home, and they're only making 70 grand a, a, a year because they never should have purchased that home in the first place. Then the housing market crashed. It could only go on for so long. It completely destroyed the economy. When I was that eight, when I was eight years old, I remember it had a big impact on me. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The point is, the banks got wrecked, and this is what happened to the price action of the stock market. The U.S. GDP shrunk by a lot. We went into the Great Recession. The stock market dropped 57 percent. So when we look at what happened here, then we need to analyze what happened then, so we can know whether or not it should happen now. You see how that works? So, Tim, what are some of your thoughts about what happened during 2008? And what are you yeah. seeing on some of the charts like the S&P 500? And we can talk about Bitcoin a little bit, too. Well, you know, I haven't been looking at the S&P 500 as much. I have been watching the DXY, and of course, because Bitcoin moves sim similar to how the NASDAQ and how S&P 500 works, but it's moving inversely to DXY. I am seeing the DXY start to go down. I don't know, Zach, if you're on my chart, but you guys can look right here on the four-hourly chart. We are declining. Now, here on Luxago, we did just have that little stop. You know, not that that guarantees is going to go down. I do anticipate here on Bitcoin that uh, we we just peaked out here. I say on the four hourly chart here for a second. There we go. Chart. Thanks for loading for me. I do. I do think potentially. Oh, I went to Ethereum. My bad, guys. Bitcoin. I, I don't have a mouse today, so stay with me on this. I'm using my fingers on this little touchpad. I do think we're gonna go down here to thirty. But as far as uh, the thirty thousand is, as far as I'm trying to collect my thoughts here. Your first question, because there's two questions there. How did the how did the 2008 crash affect me? And then secondly, what am I seeing on the charts? The the 2008 crash that we had here, what is that now, 14, 14 years, years ago, ago. I was uh, 14 years old. I thought I was on fit. You know, 14, it, it kind of hit there right in the meat when it was time for me to get my license, time for me to get my cell phone. My two older siblings had already gotten theirs paid for by their parents, and I'm going to stop right there and realize, hey, not everyone has parents that can pay for that stuff, and I realized that, that even that saying that is a privilege that not a lot of people had. But when it came time for it, it was my turn. It was my turn to get a car, to get my license, to get all this stuff. And my dad lost his job. He said, Tim, I, I can't afford to do that for you. Um, I, I know I did it for your two older siblings, but I, if you wanted to get that stuff done, I need you to get it done. Sure enough, what did I do? At 14, 15 years old, I started working. I was homeschooled, so I had the privilege of doing this where I get my school done and work. But I've had borderline a full-time job since I was 14, 15 years old because I had to pay for all of my own things. And as that famous saying goes, hard times makes what? Strong men. Strong men make easy times, easy times make weak men, so on and so forth, the cycle continues. Well, that crash actually made me into who I am today. I, I probably am the most successful of my siblings, but it's because I had to build everything myself. Whereas they had things handed to them. I actually used that time to work and to, and to really grow my self-discipline, my work ethic, and it's made me into who I am today. So as far as that, these types of crashes, as much as people feel the pain, guess what happens? When you have hard times, that makes what? Strong men. So this is actually still a, a good opportunity. Uh, I talked about the chart already, and I'm sure we're going to bounce back to my chart here in a second, but I'll throw it back to you here, Jeb, to talk just a little bit more. Yeah, so the thing we have to keep in mind, guys, is that what we saw in 2008 was not a natural fire. It was a man-made fire. It was a campfire that got out of control. But the thing was, the forest was already in a state of a tinderbox. It just needed a spark. That's what happened in 2008. And 
While we didn't realize it at the time, that is the exact same state that Luna was in just a little while ago. And you might be thinking, well, Jeb, why are we talking about Luna again? Haven't we talked about Luna so much? Well, we have. But we've really got to dig into this and understand what took place so that we can understand what we need to do differently, how we need to research differently. We need to have an after-action report. We got to talk about this. We have to know what happened so that we can know how to protect ourselves in the future. What happened to Luna is very similar, I would argue, to what happened in 2008. There was a forest. There was a tinderbox. It just needed a spark. Luna did not fail and crash because of an attack that happened a week and a half ago. I posit that it was already set up in a way that it just needed something to push it over the edge. What was that thing that pushed it over the edge? In a word, centralization. That's what it was. The word centralization is like a forest with so much dead undergrowth, so much dead debris. It hasn't rained in three years, and all you need is a bit of dry lightning for someone to drop a match, and the whole thing will go up in flames. That's what happened in 2008. That's what happened to Luna. So you see how we're drawing these comparisons. That's why we're talking about the stock market, is so that we can see what happened in the stock market and say, okay, well, now we're seeing the same thing happen in Luna, but we know what happened after the crash in the stock market. We don't know what's going to happen after the crash in Luna. This is what we're discussing. Should we have a centralized bailout of Luna the same way that we did with the 2008 housing crisis? By the way, it wasn't just the housing market that crashed. The entire economy did. In the same way that Luna crashing has brought down a lot of the cryptocurrency market, the housing market crashing and the U.S. banks and foreign banks causing the housing market crash because they did cause it. Uh, that right there led to the rest of the economy being pulled down. Ford, uh, Ford, Chevy, Chrysler, GM, Jeep, Dodge, all these companies, all these automotive companies get, received loans from the government. AIG is a $400 billion insurance in, in, a company. They took a, like a $28 billion loan from the U.S. federal government, and the CEO, who was in retirement, he had two years left to live, came back into the company, said, no, we're going to pay this back, we're going to pay interest to the U.S. taxpayer. Most companies didn't do that. What's the point here? The point is, the government screwed it up. There was a problem with the way the banks were operating, and the banks should have had to pay that price. The banks should have gone out of business. The banks should have had to file bankruptcy. They should have done that. Why? Because if you don't let the free market punish you for your sins, then you won't learn. Mm. What the federal government did is they came in and bailed them out because the banks were too big to fail. Was Luna too big to fail? That's the question. Was it? We're going to get to that. But I just for right now want you to understand the comparison between the crash that happened on Luna and the crash that happened during the 2008 financial crisis. Number one, it was man-made. Number two, when it got bad, it got worse because of centralized authorities coming in and trying to fix it. You have to let these things run their course. Most of these automotive companies, most of these major retailers, most of the banks now are working with a Band-Aid on a bullet wound because they never were forced to heal properly. The banks, the, excuse me, the federal government came in and they said, here's $700 billion. Here's $4.6 trillion. Let's not let you go out of business because it would really suck if the banks all went out of business. It would really suck for the, current, for the United States if all the banks went belly up and they filed bankruptcy. But the alternative is that now we have an imperfect, broken system that does not serve the populace. By the way, is it any surprise that it just so happened that Bitcoin came out January 3rd, 2009 at the very bottom of the market? Now, I'm not saying that 2008 is what led to Bitcoin being created. It was likely already in development, but that timing was pretty pristine. 
Bitcoin was made with the vision of being the solution to things like 2009. And that's why I'm so thankful that Bitcoin is different than Luna, that Bitcoin is decentralized, that Bitcoin is not centralized. Because while bad things may happen on Bitcoin, that decentralization that we stand for no matter what will protect us in the long run, even if there are sacrifices that we have to make in the short term. I would argue that if it were not for the centralized nature of Luna in the first place, then it never would have had the crash that it had along with a couple of other things that were going on with the way that it was set up. I'm not saying that's the only factor, but I am saying that that's the main factor. The main factor was that it was set up in a centralized way, not something that needs to have a centralized authority come in and fix it. You see, what the government likes to do is that they like to let something centralized fail and then come in and say, oh, well, we're centralized when we're bigger, so we'll come in and fix it. And then it just ends up failing even harder. And we end up propping up zombie companies. We end up propping up zombie banks. And that's what we're seeing right now. We don't want to prop up a zombie. So what's the point here of the technical analysis section? This drop that we saw on Luna probably could have been avoided if it was built differently and if it was built more decentralized. And two... This is what we're going to be discussing in the next segment. How do we respond to this? Do we respond to this drop in Luna in the exact same way that the government responded to the banks crashing and burning by their own mistakes, by their own failures? Do we do what the government did and come in and stop natural selection in a free market capitalistic libertarian society? Do we do exactly what the banks did, exactly what the federal government did, step in and stop the evolution of the space? Or do we stick to our guns of decentralization? Because it is decentralization that led us away from the problems. Are we going to go back to the previous solutions that we know don't work? Or are we going to stand by what we believe in, which is decentralization? Because without decentralization, you cannot have true financial sovereignty. Tim, what do you think about that? What are some final thoughts before we move into our first Super Chat segment? Man, I I think you wrapped it up there pretty, pretty clean. I, I think that we're going to talk more in the discussion section about all of what you just said specifically talking about Luna and what Vitalik said. So, you know, I don't want to give any spoilers of what we're going to talk about away. Do you want to cover a little bit of Bitcoin TA real quick? Sure. Yeah, you have a couple of minutes here. Uh, yeah, do you want to do anything minutes. or do you want me to go to the charts? and show uh, You can. I've been talking for a while. Yeah. So, you know, I said this a little bit, a little bit ago because I was collecting my thoughts when Jeb asked me two different questions. Uh, I So on the four hourly chart, Bitcoin. We are actually we are climbing right now. We're right now in a rising wedge, and I'm actually going to be making you know I'm giving I'm giving my prediction probably away for the end of this show for my Friday prediction. But you know what? It is what it is. I'm going to go ahead and say what it is. I think by Friday we potentially will see a thirty-two thousand dollar Bitcoin, mm. and the reason why is because right now we are in a rising wedge, and the next spot I do think we're going to come down potentially test this support one more time somewhere around thirty thousand, maybe maybe slightly break through down to twenty-nine again. To 29.9s, but 30,000. I think we're coming down here, but I think we're going to rally and we're going to see a peak somewhere up in this region closer to 32, and I think maybe even break through. There's a couple different reasons why I think that. First of all, it would be the four-hourly chart right here in this rising wedge. If I go up to the daily chart, there's another thing that I believe that the market's trying to get accomplished right now, and that is look at how far we are away from the 20-day uh, SMA. So this is the Bollinger Bands right here. The blue lines here are the, oh, this would be oversold or Let's see, overbought, sorry, oversold to the bottom side. Uh, I told you guys, I'm using my finger on the touchpad, so bear with me on this one. But look where this line looks to be heading. Again, it's not a perfect science, and this could change in the next couple of days. But if I were to kind of 
pretend to draw this line down here. This is going to be fun because I'm going to draw with the touchpad. If I was going to draw down here, look at where it's going to intersect potentially with this chart, and that's right there around 32. So that's one of the reasons why I do believe we're going to 32 because it's just a law of how the charts and how the prices work. We are drastically oversold at the moment at that third, uh, you know, where we are sitting right now, and we're working our way back towards that 20-day SMA. Here is something, though, to keep in mind, though. I think there is a chance that we could potentially even break through it temporarily and touch maybe even as high as uh, 34. There's a couple other things that reasons why we could do 34. One reason why is because as I just said, I drew this. It could start as our price starts to climb. It could start to level out. I do believe we're going to touch that 20. But you guys see this volume here on the 20 daily. This volume is not to be ignored. I actually want to go down to the four hourly chart just to show it a little more cleanly. This volume that we saw uptick when we crashed all the way down to 25.5 should not be ignored because what we communicated to the market right down there is there is a lot of demand at that price. The way the charts work, and we talk about this a little bit in Club DeFi, and we're going to teach even more on it when I create some more videos, but the way these markets work, I, I promise you, go to any chart and look it up. When you have a bottom and you have high volume, rarely do we not go back and visit that. In fact, actually, if I were to go and look at the, the BLX and look at the history, it's going to change my chart. There we go. Thank you for that. If I were to look at the weekly chart, when I went through here the other day and I looked at the bottom of bear markets, save this one that we just had, which is not technically the bottom of bear market back in 2020. That was a uh, crash. I don't even know why I have these yellow lines. I'm going to get rid of those yellow lines. Those aren't telling me things particularly. Look at this right here how we had massive volume in the bottom and we came back down and tested that. that. That massive volume was not the end of the bear market, but it gave us a great indication of getting close to it. We actually ended up going even a little lower. Sure enough, we scroll back to the bottom of the bear market back here in 20, uh, 2015. Now, this is one case where we didn't get all the way back down to it, but look at this massive volume right here. I'm going to try to zoom in for you guys a little bit more here. Look at that massive volume and we had a little bit of relief and we came back down. Didn't get quite as low, but we touched back down to the close of those candle bodies on the weekly chart. This is another example. Look at the volume right there. Just the way bear markets work, going back to where we're currently sitting at the moment, this could be the bottom. We could be close to the bottom, but it's going to touch again. We have our volume coming in. There's going to be a lot of volume right here. We're going to keep moving sideways. Watch to see if this develops a little more. It doesn't mean it's the exact bottom. It doesn't mean that it's not the bottom, but I guarantee you prices are going to be coming back down into the mid to potentially lower 20s. But I think we're going to see a little bit of a relief first, at least a 32 if not 34 before we see that. There you go. Well, that might be where Bitcoin goes, and uh, we'll have to see if people start selling that little dead cat bounce there because they very well may. Let's go ahead and jump into Super Chats. Do we have any Super Chats? I don't think I saw any. I, I don't think we saw any Super Chats here either. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking. I don't I don't see any necessarily. So, uh, yeah, but uh, let me look to see if there's any good questions we have here in chat. Um, any thoughts you have while I'm going through here? Uh, no, I'm just getting ready for the next section. Man, I, th I think then potentially what we should do is just go ahead and jump into the next section. I know we have a quick intermission, and then we're going to jump in there. Yes, we do. Well, guys, if you're enjoying today's show, make sure to hit that like button. we got 1,500 people watching, only 370 likes. I know that we can get higher than that. Thank you very much to Tim for all of that analysis. Let's see if we can't get 500 likes here in the next couple of minutes. Thank you guys so very much. We're going to go ahead and jump into our next segment. But first, a word from another one of our sponsors, Link2. 
guys, we would like to give a shout out to Link2. That's Link2.com, L-I-N-Q-T-O.com. Link2 offers the average investor access to the world's top unicorns, aka private companies with greater than $1 billion in valuation. Traditionally, only 2% of the world's accredited investors have had access to these private, non-publicly traded markets. And those elite investors make an average investment of $7.5 million. But Link2 is democratizing private investment by offering private shares of companies like Ripple, Uphold, Dapper Labs, BitPay, and BlockFi for a minimum as low as $10,000. Given pending recessions, inflation, the volatility of public equities markets, more and more investors are exploring private markets. While we can't promise every Link2 listing will go public, the company has a fantastic track record, including exits like Coinbase, Robinhood, SoFi, Marketa, and Innovium. On a credibility note, Link2 is compliant in over 100 countries globally and has over $120 million in investments on the platform. Go to Link2.com to automate the SEC's process to become an accredited investor today and then access pre-IPO investments right now. Whenever companies go public, guys, normally their valuation skyrockets and they've got some really great yeah. companies over there. When you're investing in cryptocurrency, the only place you can invest is not cryptocurrencies. You can also invest in NFTs and you can also invest in some of these private tech companies that could 100x in the next 10 years. Make sure to check out Link2. The link is in the description. The link to Link2 is in the description box down below. You definitely don't want to miss out on those opportunities. Yeah, you know, I want to throw in, because I have a question from chat too, but I don't even want to just talk about that. You know, this is the season where a lot of people are scared. You know, I completely understand. A lot of people probably listening to that saying, Jeb, why would I want to go invest in a small company? Right. I need to prepare for myself right now. Well, guess what all of the big money, the smart money, the whales are doing? These are the, this is the blood in the streets that they're investing. Mm -hmm. They're looking for these small companies. They're looking for these little, little uh, coins and they're, they're investing in them low. They understand that the prices might even go down. Like they, they understand if I put a million dollars in a small company, that a million dollars might turn into 750,000 here shortly because the mar market's still down. But I know that a million long term is going to skyrocket, especially as that company grows. This is the time you want to invest in those things. Absolutely. Speaking of investment, though, I, there was a good question in chat. Before we transition, I do think this is a good one. Let me scroll and find it. Yeah. DJ Max said, should I move alts into Bitcoin? So <clears throat> we've talked about in previous streams, and we're going to keep talking about through this bear market that you want to be conservative right now. You want to be careful about investing too much in the altcoins because, frankly, a lot of these altcoins are not going to survive the next two years. They just won't. I'm not saying they're going to go to zero in a week like Luna did, but what I am saying is that the vast majority of them are going to fail or they're going to stagnate. Just look back five years ago at some of the projects that were in the top 10, top 15, top 20. Look at where they are now. Many of them are not even in the top 100 anymore. And that's what's going to happen again. So be sure to be on the lookout. I got a little descending wedge on my hair here today, guys. We'll do some TA on that at the end of the show if we have some time. Make sure to be more conservative during this time because Bitcoin, Ethereum, and a couple others are extremely likely to survive the bear market. Bitcoin's almost certain to survive the bear market, but a lot mm. of those smaller alts are not. So understand yeah. that it's higher risk. And yeah, just so you know, Altcoins are some of the best investments for when the bull market's going. Why? Yes. Because they will outpace Bitcoin when it comes to percentage growth. Here's the problem, though. We're in a bear market. So guess what also they do? They lose money a lot faster than Bitcoin. So each person is their own decision maker. Everyone's got to decide for themselves. I'm telling you right now, I have consolidated down to my big three, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano. I was spread out into probably about 15 different coins. I've gone ahead and said, no, I'm going to move into the ones I more trust, I like. That doesn't mean I'm going to go back into them here when we start seeing a little bit of a rally. But I'll lose way more money in those smaller altcoins than I will if I hold in Bitcoin. Absolutely. All right, let's go. Yeah, we're good to, good for that, and we can go and transition to discussion. So let's start our discussion, guys. I want to frame it with a question. Do you believe in financial sovereignty? 
Do you believe in this concept of financial sovereignty that we've talked about? What is financial sovereignty? Financial sovereignty is the concept of having total control over your own wealth and the systems that generate, maintain, and store your wealth. We want you to have control over your finances. That's what we want. We genuinely believe that if the finances that you have are in your hands, not in my hands, not in Tim ha Tim's hands, definitely not and definitely not high Zach's hands. I'm just joking. He'd probably manage your money pretty well if you wanted him to. And definitely not in the federal government's hands. But they're in your hands, and you're going to do the best because there is no conflict of interest. So we believe in financial sovereignty because it serves you. I want to be financially sovereign for my family. I want you to be financially sovereign for your family. But that is a philosophical concept that we have to make sure we take to the fullest, that we take to the extreme. Because we are in a world right now that does not believe or understand financial sovereignty. It's very easy to accidentally take a position that does not align with financial sovereignty. And we want to be very careful of that. Because if we take a position that does not align with financial sovereignty, then all of a sudden we're divided amongst ourselves. And as we know, a house divided cannot stand. We have to be consistent or we will not see the kind of wealth and the kind of freedom and sovereignty that we want to in the first place. So here's the big idea. This is something we're going to start doing every discussion. We're going to give you a big idea and we're going to break it down. This whole discussion is about Luna and it will lead you back to financial sovereignty. So here we go. What's the big idea? I would say, and our team would say, that the Luna crash is the 2008 financial crisis without the centralized Federal Reserve. Why? Well, we actually just explained a lot of that in the beginning of the show. It was a man-made tinderbox, the, the uh, environment was, and then a match got dropped. In 2008, some things happened. Not going to get too much into it. We've already talked about that. And the 2008 housing crisis happened. But it was building for 10 years before that. In fact, it was building for a couple hundred years before that because the entire U.S. economy was growing into this financially insovereign state with a lot of money printing. The centralized Federal Reserve came in and broke it. Why is it good that there's no crypto Fed to bail out Luna? That's one of the big questions we want to ask. Why is it a good thing that there's no FDIC to come in and bail out Luna? Well, here's the deal. The Federal Reserve came in, bailed out banks like JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, and they kicked the can down the road. How did they kick the can down the road? Well, they kicked the can down the road because these banks did not get to learn their lesson. JP Morgan, uh, Goldman Sachs, rather, they got fined, I want to say about $300 million for their um, participation in, 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 the shorts, in the shorting against the market and insider trading. Uh, Goldman, they got fined uh, several hundred million dollars as well. But some of these companies made billions, if not tens of billions of dollars off of the crash. And there's nothing wrong with shorting the market necessarily, but there is when you do it via insider trading. And a lot of this stuff is proven. I don't have time to go into all of it today, but this is not just allegation anymore. A lot of this stuff is proven. There have been fines hand out. This is history. This is in the textbooks. The Fed bailed out Goldman and J.P. Morgan, and they didn't learn their lesson. And a lot of times, when you, most of the time, when justice is not done, the person, or in this case, the company, that sinned, will go on and do it again. Now, there's a lot more regulation on the space right now, but the heart behind these companies has not changed. The heart is still, how do we make the most money for ourselves and forget everybody else? The heart has not changed. There's a lot more regulations. Great. It's a lot harder. Uh, you can't do negative amortization anymore. For example, you've got to pay that much. You've got to pay at least the interest. You can do an interest-only loan, but you have to pay the interest. There are a lot more regulations now. The banking system is a lot more regulated now than it was. But the same nature that the banks had is still there. And the nature would have potentially had to change if the banks really felt the consequences of their actions. And they were actually allowed to fail. But they didn't. 
I argue that we should allow Luna to fail and that we should use it as an experience, a learning lesson. And that's not to say that this was not a tragic event. Let's just take a look over here. Binance's Luna investment was worth $1.6 billion. I have it right here. Chengping Zhao of Binance said poor again. You know, CZ does not come from much. Binance had $1.6 billion in uh, Luna. It's now worth less than $3,000. Oh. Golly dang, 1.6 billion to three grand. You know, we, we had Lorenzo on the other day. He was talking about how he had, what, $3,000 and it went to 28 bucks. Mm -hmm. The CEO is now moving to protect users. That's great. I have nothing against the CEO moving to protect users. That's phenomenal. That is not something that I'm arguing against. That's great. Good for you, CZ. Good for you trying to protect your customers. You're not a government entity. What I do have a problem with is when a government entity comes in and tries to do the free market's job for it because they never do as good of a job because they don't have the same incentive. So why does this matter? Why do we care? Well, the reason that this matters and the reason that, this, that we care is because <clears throat> if we have a centralized authority come in and bail out the Luna holders, even the small ones. I'm talking about the guy that had $5,000 in Luna. I'm talking about some people in this chat. It's sad and it's a horrible thing what happened. But if we allow a centralized entity like the US federal government to come in and bail out the Luna holders, the Luna Foundation, and everybody, every, everyone that got burned from Luna and make them whole, then what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen is that a lesson will not be learned, systems like this will be built again in the future and we will suffer the consequences again. Nobody bailed out the people that got burned from BitConnect, but you know what happened? The industry learned. You don't see Ponzi schemes and lending platforms built like BitConnect anymore. The industry genuinely learned. It was really funny. BitConnect, if you don't know what it is, it was a Ponzi scheme. It was offering 1% of interest a day, and it was, literally, it was literally a Ponzi scheme. They were paying out payments with new people's money coming in. They tried to make billions of dollars. A lot of them did get arrested, and I have nothing against justice. The people in that situation should have been arrested because it was a premeditated Ponzi scheme. I'm not saying Luna was. I'm not arguing whether or not Do Kwan was at fault. I don't know. I'm not the judge. I'm not the jury on that. That's not my point. The point is there should not be a centralized bailout. It didn't happen with BitConnect, but if it did, don't you think that the industry would be much more prone to that kind of scam now? But the industry learned. You know, it's really funny. I remember when BitConnect went under, something came out a month later called DaverCoin. Drop a one in chat if anybody remembers DaverCoin. That's how I know you've been here for a while. That was in early 2018. And people were pretty sure it was actually the founders of BitConnect. It was literally the exact same platform with a different name and a different website design. We didn't learn our lesson then, but we, we eventually learned our lesson. Now, there's other kind of scammers that are doing it a different way. But the point is the market learned its lesson. We learned from the failures. We were able to do it on our own without a centralized authority. Because remember, financial sovereignty does not exist without decentralization. Tim, what do you make of this idea that the, that the market can actually learn if we're allowed to fail? Yeah, I mean, that's that's when the best things Full are screen. learned. And I, I've i talked about this actually a couple of times. If you guys want to go ahead and go back and watch this, because I've referenced it so often, go back and watch Jordan Peterson's take that he gave back at the Bitcoin conference 2022, where he was probably the only, not, he wasn't anti-Bitcoin. He wasn't saying Bitcoin's bad. He was the only non-hype man saying, hey, just so you guys know, when Bitcoin or if Bitcoin becomes the world, you know, dominant thing that we think it's going to be, 
there are some things that you need to pay attention to. And one of the things you talked about was we need to get back to a state where, and this was a pro Bitcoin point, we need to get back to a state where businesses are allowed to fail. And that's what happens. When you have a free market, businesses fail. But the good thing is, is that when they fail, those people can learn from them and, and they can learn from the ones that are successful and move forward. Here's the problem with this. And you know, Vitalik, the whole point of the show is we're disagreeing with Vitalik, who's kind of quoting the, the, the principle that we had back in 20, 2008, where we bailed out, we bailed out the market. He's saying, oh, we could do that here. Here is the problem. And, and Jeb's hit, it on, hit on this, and I'm going to kind of repeat it. That is the most centralized thing in the world to say that there's a precedence to, re, to bail someone out when they're not doing well. Guess what? It wasn't the Fed that bailed them out. I know, you know that technically on paper, if you're reading a news headline, the Fed bails out banks. The Fed didn't bail out banks. Who puts money into the Fed? The taxpayer. The taxpayer bailed it out. And the whole point of centralization is that one entity from the inside is determining for everybody else what is best. And so they decided, you know, we're gonna take taxpayer money, and even though they don't get a vote in this, it's best for them, so let's go ahead and make the decision for them. And whether it's a good or bad thing, there are definitely times where centralization turns pro. The problem with that is it does not allow the masses to actually come in and make that decision. It doesn't allow you, the individual taxpayer, to have a say. And guess what, sometimes when you have a decent system, bad things can happen, like businesses or coins or whatever going and dying and crashing and burning. That is part of the decentralized world. You cannot have decentralization without but dying businesses. But that is a good thing because it allows for growth and competition in the market. So this, this idea that we should bail out altcoins, I'm super glad that we don't have a system built in place for that because guess what? That system would be centralized and would go against everything we're trying to build with DeFi. So let's go ahead and quote Vitalik because people have been saying that. Well, we're talking about Vitalik, but we're 40 minutes in the show and we haven't talked about it. Well, let's talk about it. We want to make sure we are setting this up properly so you understood where we were going. Look at this article over on Fortune.com. Ethereum co-founder says average small holder impacted by Terra stablecoin crash should be made whole, cites FDIC's $250,000 as precedent. If you don't know what the FDIC's $250,000 insurance is, it's basically free insurance that we, the taxpayer, have to pay with our federal income tax. And whenever something happens in a bank account, it can be insured up to, two, up to a quarter million dollars. I don't have time to get into the FDIC right now, but I can read Vitalik's tweets. The second way is to prioritize smaller. He's quoting Persian Capital here, discussing what happened with Luna. The second way is to prioritize smaller wallets. People had a couple thousand or more of UST deposited in Anchor. If Terra just focused on the poorest 99.6 of the wallets, they could make the gigant, this gigantic group 100% whole. Yep, you read that right. Now, I want to be clear. I don't have a problem with the Luna Foundation themselves making people whole because that's like a, ba that's like a bank coming in and saying, hey, we screwed up and we're going to make it right. That's great. That's phenomenal. However... It's when you start discussing that it could be a different entity that comes in and, and, and atones for the sins of, you know, I'm, I'm all for atoning sin. That's what Jesus did. But I'm not talking about governments here. When, when the government tries to come in and make right the sins of the company, then what happens is the company doesn't learn. Vitalik said this. Strongly support this. Coordinated sympathy and relief for the average UST smallholders who got something dumb about 20% interest rates on the US dollar by an influencer, personal responsibilities, and SFYL for the wealthy. The obvious precedence is FDIC insurance, up to a quarter million dollars per person. An interesting unrelated one is Singapore employment law. Stronger regulation for low-earning employees and make it a figure-it-out-yourself approach for the wealthier. IMO, things like this are good hybrid formulas. I understand what it's like to not have any money. I understand, because that's where I came from. I understand what it's like for for that. But why single out the wealthier and say that they have to figure it out? Why, why single out the wealthier and say, hey, you guys have to figure it out, but everybody else, oh, you're fine. Well, why do that? Is that fair? 
Is that, is that really what we're trying to build here in cryptocurrency? Discriminating based on the stance of how much money someone has? Is that decentralized? I don't think so. Uh, again, I have a lot of respect for Vitalik Buterin. He built something that I could never even hope to build. He's way smarter than I am, so I'm not trying to attack Vitalik. We can disagree with someone and still love them and care about them and, and, and think that they're great people. I think Vitalik is a wonderful person. I would love for him to come on the show one day. I'd love to discuss this with him. I, I also don't want to misrepresent him, so if Vitalik is watching this or if somebody wants to send this to Vitalik, Vitalik Buterin, I'm talking directly to you. I would love to come on the show and discuss this comment because maybe I misunderstand. I don't think I do, but maybe I do. The point is, unless it's Terra Luna and the Luna Foundation themselves, 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 <laughs> my, my, Got that my southern draw, my southern draw comes out. out sometimes, you hear? No. If it's Terra Luna themselves coming and making whole, then that's great. But if it's anyone else that, are, that, that, that feel mandated to do, to do it, I think that's actually a mistake. So why is that important? We cannot kick the can down the road. We have to learn these lessons. Was Luna too big to fail? We talk about how the banks were too big to fail. In the pandemic that started two and a half years ago, we talked about how the airlines were too big to fail. There were big bailouts for the airlines. And frankly, that's a little different because it wasn't the airlines' fault so much in, 2020, in 2020. It was the bank's fault in 2008, and it was Luna's fault in this case. What happened? What needs to happen is that we need to have an ultra-free market stage to incubate the future of the global financial system. That's our key point here. That's part of our big Why It Matters segment. We need to have an ultra-free market stage to incubate the future of the global financial system. Why? Let me put it this way. I've used the analogy of controlled burns many times. They're very important for the forest. If you don't allow a fire to come through the forest every once in a while, normally every 10 to 20 years, then what happens is that the forest floor gets built up and up and up and up and up with dead trees, dead debris, twigs, leaves, all these things. Have you ever walked through a forest and the leaves are that thick? They're that that you step in. It's like you're stepping in a foot of snow. That's what uh, a tinderbox looks like. That's what massive amount of kindling looks like. If, a, if lightning strikes there and one leaf catches on fire, everything's so dry because it hasn't rained and it hasn't had a fire in so long, goes up in flames. And we're not talking about a small little 20-acre burn that resets the forest. We're talking about thousands of acres go up in flames. California's seeing this right now because they didn't have enough rain. And so everything is dead. And, and, and so when lightning strikes, there's giant fires. I'm tying this back into crypto. We're doing it by analogy. So what went on in 2008 is that there was a man-made, easily combustible forest floor. And then there was a man-made spark that was dropped and then it went up in flames. But there was never a controlled burn that allowed for all the man-made combustible debris on the ground to be cleared. There was n the, the forest was not healthy in plain English. The forest was not healthy because humans had intervened and tried to interfere with the natural process. They'd interfered with the natural evolutionary process of the banking system. They should have stepped back and let the banks fail if they were going to fail. They got too big to fail because of a human intervention in the first place over the hundred years preceding that. The banks were not too big to fail before government got big. They weren't. The bank went under. The bank went under. Yeah, there might have been a recession. If you want to talk about the 1929, by the way, I would argue the Great Depression should have only lasted four years instead of 10 years, if not for FDR and the, Great, and the New Deal. That's a different conversation, but I do just want you to know I am philosophically consistent on that. What's the point here? There was a man-made tinderbox and a man-made spark that led to the 2008 housing crisis. In this Luna situation, there was a man-made tinderbox, i.e. Luna was not built correctly because it was built decentralized, because it was built centralized, 
And then there was an attack. Somebody committed arson. It wasn't so much man-made. It wasn't self-inflicted, but it was arson. Somebody came in and attacked that tinderbox, and then it went up in flames. In both instances, there was a fire starter, and there was never a controlled burn to make sure the forest was healthy. How do you make a forest healthy? You stop trying. How do you make a forest healthy in the, in the real world? Didn't, before humans came along, and let's say that there's an entire continent. Humans don't live there. Do you think the forest is going to have these giant million-acre burns? Maybe sometimes, maybe every thousand years. But normally, you're going to see a small little burn. It's going to keep the forest clear. We started seeing more forest fires in the United States when we started trying to put out every tiny little forest fire. While we didn't let control burns happen. The forest is able to naturally regulate. It's able to self-regulate. If we're going to have a healthy forest, i.e., if we're going to have a healthy cryptocurrency market, we have to let it self-regulate. Why? Because when you centralized, in a centralized way, step in and try and stop that control burn, it's going to happen anyway, but it's going to happen a thousand times worse than it would have otherwise. So we cannot bail out Luna. We cannot bail out the holders because you would only be able to do it in a centralized manner. Again, the only way that I think it should happen, if it could happen, would be the Luna Foundation going in with their money and giving it back to the investors. Maybe that's an argument. But the FDIC, the U.S. federal government, should not and cannot step in and fix it because if they do, we will not learn our lesson. We will be going against the tenet of decentralization. We will not be standing for financial sovereignty, and we will be breaking the backs of the developers that are trying to build real, sovereign, strong solutions because what happened in 2008? is that the little guy that got burned and did not buy a house that he couldn't afford, that did not do a cash for clunkers, that did not take unemployment, that did not do all these things, got burned, and everybody who took, the, who took you know, payments from the government and everything, they were the ones that were okay. As somebody said in chat, the executives were going around flying jets, buying new houses because of the bailout money. The little guy got burned, and he was having to pay for all the bailouts. Why? That's not fair. In cryptocurrency, we need to make sure that we are decentralized because if we're not, and if we forget why Bitcoin was created, we will have a big problem. Why does it matter? It matters because we have to be able to learn our lessons. The industry has to be allowed to grow the right way or we built this industry for nothing. If we build this industry on a centralized foundation because it's easier in the short term, then we ought to just pack up and go home because all we're doing is building the next generation of the banking system and it will go there. So be very careful and do not budge on the concept of decentralization. Yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, not that I, I don't have sympathy uh, for anyone who lost a lot of money in Luna, because I absolutely do. I, I, I never I didn't own it. So I don't get that that thought. But even watching Bitcoin holding and stuff, you're you watch it fall. Your stomach kind of goes like, you know, there's that point where it's like, yes, in a perfect world. And some of you did this. And if you did, hats off to you. If I had liquidated all of my Bitcoin at sixty nine thousand dollars, would I have a whole heck of a lot of money? My wife, you know, this is something uh, Taylor came to me, Jeb. I don't know if yeah. you remember this. She when we set a new all time high, we went to sixty five. We were still on our way up to sixty nine. But she said, Tim, should we? Should we sell all our Bitcoin and get out and wait for a lower? And I said, no, we're going to continue to hodl on. In a perfect world, if I had done that, guess what? I could be buying in right now, even if we go lower, and more than double my Bitcoin holdings. My point, though, here is that as much as I sympathize with Luna holders, it was an investment. You were not forced to invest in it. It was something that that happened. Sometimes the world just sucks. Sometimes things happen that, that aren't 
desirable. The problem is, is when we stop letting things die, and that's kind of wrapping up my thought on this whole thing. If we do not allow things to die, we will not continue to move forward with this world, with the crypto world, with our economy. If we keep bailing everything out because people get hurt and people get upset, that doesn't mean we should not be sympathetic. It doesn't mean as an individual, whether it's the company or individuals, if you want to go and give someone who lost a lot of Luna some money to help get them back on their feet, let's do that. But when a centralized power says, no, we are not letting people get hurt by this and you don't let things fail, we do not learn and we keep regressing and moving backwards until at some point, guess what? That bailout money has to come from somewhere. Some way, somehow that bailout money, if we keep bailing things out, will evaporate and we will go out into a full out crash. Not just like a recession, not just a, oh, this is kind of sucks, gas. This is a, no, there are gonna be people dying, there are gonna be people starving because there is no money left. If you don't have any nerve endings in your hand and you put your hand on the stove, that's great because you didn't feel the pain, but you're gonna do it again and eventually you're not gonna have a hand. Yeah. That, if you wanna think about this whole video, that's the point. So what is the rest of the takeaway? Number one, do you really believe in decentralization? If you do, we can't do a centralized bailout. Number two, do you really believe in financial sovereignty? Because if you do and you believe in decentralization, which produces financial sovereignty, then we can't do a centralized bailout. We have to be philosophically consistent even when it hurts. That's the point. Let's go ahead and jump into Super Chats. Before we do, I wanna bring you a word from our final sponsor here, Hedge. If you guys don't know, Hedge is a payroll conversion solution that allows users to automatically convert their pay, i.e. W2, 1099, commission, etc. from fiat to crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, etc. via direct deposit. It eliminates the need for the traditional exchange experience and streamlines the process from pay to crypto wallets in one seamless application. This non-intrusive design enables companies to keep their current process flow and HR service providers with no setup fee. They release custody of assets the same day as payment, as well as the freedom to be sent to any wallet. They believe in the decentralized aspect crypto brings, which is good because so do we, and want to maintain those values by allowing individuals to use their assets as they please. Let me put it this way. If you are not using Hedge and you're a small business owner or just work in a business and you have anything to do with the payroll, make sure to check them out because what do we want to do right now? We want to make sure that we are dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin and crypto while we're low. What better way to do it than to have it come straight out of your paycheck so you don't even think about it? How much easier is it to not even look at the money and just live like you're making 90% of what you're actually making because the other 10% went straight into crypto and you never even saw it in the first place? Wouldn't it be so much easier to invest in crypto if it happened automatically? That's why we advocate for things like recurring purchases on Coinbase. Wouldn't it be so much easier if it just happened in if it just happened instantly in the same way that you put money into retirement accounts instantly and it comes straight out of your paycheck in the same way that your federal income tax happens instantly and you don't have to worry about it at the end of the year because it comes immediately out of your paycheck. Do the same thing with cryptocurrency. Build up that portfolio, live on a little less, and be glad you did in 10 years when you're sitting on millions of dollars because you were investing part of your paycheck into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Check out Hedge. The link is in the description box down below. Let's yeah. go ahead and jump into our super chat. Yeah, we have two here and then we also have our predictions here in just a little bit and I have Smay's prediction. So Jeb, the only one I'm missing is yours. But Smile said, do you think ADAX will fail during a bear market? I don't know. A lot of small projects do tend to fail in bear markets, so we will see on that one. I'm still hopeful, but I couldn't tell you, to be honest with you. Yeah, we got to keep an eye on that one. Agent Gold, who's been a member now for nine months, as a Jedi Padawan, said, do you know anything about LightSpark? The first article I saw framed it as a meta adopts Bitcoin, but it looks like a separate company. A summary of what's happening there would be helpful. I'm not familiar with it, but our research no. team can look into it if you would like. Yeah, speaking of members, do you guys know that this Thursday is our uh, membership stream? Hey, yeah. how about 
out yeah. the house, all of our members. We we need to do a much, and I think Ted's helping us out a lot. We're going to let you guys know well in advance so we have those, those membership streams. If you don't know what we're talking about, all of our members, we have a little stream. We get to talk about, answer specific questions, talk a little more about our lives, what's going on behind the scenes. So if you want to join, go right now, just hit that join button, and then uh, look at, there's different options with great things. There's also, Smate, there's some great things. He, by the way, Smate's sitting in the room, so you're not going to hear him. He's doing training with Zach today. There's some great things coming for our members here very soon, correct? Yeah, they got thumbs up. So we'll announce those more. Maybe we'll announce them in the membership stream. I don't know. We'll Ooh. see. But uh, Tom Wilkes just gave, uh, said, great stream as always, team. We must do our own research, make our own decisions, and celebrate our own wins, and most importantly, live with our own losses. That's right. It And yeah. it's it really sucks. And, and again, sympathy is the right word. Not empathy, sympathy. Sympathy to say, I I'm there with you. I feel that pain. That sucks. But we got it. We cannot sacrifice what makes crypto so special. That's right. Because a couple people are are in a lot of pain. Yeah. So it's an unfortunate situation, but it's the real world, guys. Well, Tim, as for price predictions. Yeah, I, I got Smaze and I just need yours. And I, I kind of hinted mine. at mine already. So you might use that. Yeah. But remember, we have a rule. Is it 500 Smaze? It can't be within 500. Okay. Sweet. Hmm. But I'll give you first stab. You give me first stab. I'll give you first stab. And I'll adjust mine if for some reason you're between. Bitcoin's going to be at $27,500. All right. We don't, I don't have to worry about that. All right. 27. Good. Okay. So $27,000 for Jeb. 27.5. 27.5. Now, do you want to quickly explain what you're thinking is there? It's in a symmetrical triangle pattern. That bear pennant has a price target of $18,000. I don't think we're going that low, but I think we'll move in that direction this week. Yeah. So I... I told you guys, I, I understand where, because I do that as well. I think that I'm going the exact opposite direction. Okay. I told you guys, I believe that by Friday, we're going to be sitting closer to 32. I'm, I put 32.1. That's where I have it. I do believe we're working back towards, we're so far away from that 20-day SMA. The, the way the market likes to work is it, when it gets overextended that far away from it, we like to work back to it. We're also, I know, I understand why you have drawn a symmetrical triangle. I have a rising wedge. Huh, all the more reason it will go down. <laughs> uh, well, no, no, but we're not close to breaking that rising wedge. Ah. So my point is we'll hit 32 and then break that rising wedge. Okay. But Smay's getting right there in the middle because he said 29,000. Uh, so, you know, at this point, we have a good little spread between us. Let us know in chat and in the comments who you agree with. Is Bitcoin going up to 32 first? Are we going ahead and breaking back down now? Because I assume, Jeb, with that prediction, you're also then, that's just a stop along the way back down to 25. Yeah, I might be too early on that. It's, it's potentially that that what you just said could happen. I, that would make a lot of sense to me, but I'm going to bet that we're going to start breaking down already this week. Yeah. I we'll hope see. it does also. For that matter, I hope it does because that means we'd get it out of the way quicker. The good news is, is right now, I told you guys that when we were doing TA, I said we were going to come down to, to about 30,000, maybe and dip a little below, go down to the 29 nines. And we're doing that. And there's a lot of things on the chart showing some recovery. So we'll see. Like, again, it, we're right now testing the support line. Can we bounce and have a good rally? I would say by the end of the day, we will know. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it'll be semi a safe bet on who's going to win this, depending on what happens the rest of this best of today and uh, but we'll start to let it ride out till friday that's so. right well guys if you enjoyed today's stream smash that like button for the number one cryptocurrency technical on-chain and fundamental analysis show in the cryptocurrency space we go live 10 a.m eastern every single weekday we're posting seven days a week to this channel make sure that you watch all the content so you're up to date on the latest in cryptocurrency make sure that you follow us on all of our social media at crypto jeb over on instagram and twitter at crypto jeb official over on tiktok one final super chat here from me wides donated said would love an FDR slash Great Depression Jebisode. Maybe we could do that. Why the why the uh, Great Depression was caused by centralization. Maybe that'd be a video that we could do. Drop a one in chat if you would like to see that. 
and why Bitcoin is the solution to that kind of thing would definitely be very interesting. But guys, we are going to wrap it out here. Again, no hate towards Vitalik. We can dis- This is one of the problems with the modern world. We think that disagreeing with someone means that you hate someone. That's not true. That's a lie from the pit of hell is what that is. You can disagree with somebody and still love them. I did, you, you, we did, Tim and I disagree all the time. We, oh, yeah. We're, we're, we're you know, brothers in Christ. That's great. There's nothing wrong with disagreeing. I don't hate Vitalik. I don't dislike Vitalik. I think he's very intelligent. I think he's very smart. And it would be my absolute pleasure and honor to receive him on this channel one day for an interview or for him to come on Coffee and Crypto. That would be phenomenal. Doesn't mean I always agree with him. I do completely disagree with him on this matter. And hey, Vitalik, if you're watching this or anybody who likes Vitalik uh, and you want to advocate for him, hey, if I misrepresented Vitalik, please tell me. I don't want to do that. But even even if I misrepresented Vitalik, the principles that we stated here, maybe Vitalik, maybe uh, even if we did misrepresent Vitalik, which I don't think we did, what we said here is still true. If you want to have financial sovereignty, then you have to believe in decentralization. If you want to have decentralization, you have to make sure that you take it fully and make sure that even when it hurts, that you still stand by it. Because remember, like I said, if you take the pain away from touching a stove, you're just going to keep touching it until you don't have a hand anymore. We want you to have a hand. We want you to have financial sovereignty. So even when it hurts, and we know it hurts, I know what it's like to lose a lot of money. I do. Even when it hurts, you've still got to use it as a lesson, and you still can't compromise on those principles because even in the short term, when it's painful, it is those principles that will end up making you wealthy and will end up leading you where you're going. It is your guide. Follow it, and you'll be glad you did. Like I said, guys, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel. Before I go, though, I do just first want to thank each and every single last one of you for watching, as always. And I will see you guys in the next video. Peace. Oh, I got a real good feeling. We hope you enjoyed listening to the Coffee and Crypto Podcast. Tune in every day at 9.30 a.m. Eastern to watch live on YouTube. Follow us on our social media accounts at CryptoJeb. And lastly, we want to thank you for supporting us here at MacD Media.